Howdy, howdy, hey! This is episode 7 of Home Turf, a battalion sports podcast. The battalion is Texas A&M's very own student newspaper. We are coming at y'all live with your favorite sports editors. I'm Jennifer Streeter, and this is Casey Stavenhagen and Ryan Faulkner. Now let's go ahead and get into some sports action. But before we do that, Ryan, Casey, and I would like to spend a special congratulations to Mitchell Benningfield on his recent engagement engagement, excuse me, for those of y'all who don't know, Mitchell edits all of our podcast episodes and we are so happy for him and wish him and his new fiance the best of luck. And then in completely unrelated news, I got a dog and the only reason I'm telling y'all this is because you guys might hear him in this episode. His name is Kylo. He is a year and six months old and he is a lab mix. And I named him after Kylo Ren from Star Wars. And he is going to be Olsen's new best friend. And Olsen is actually Ryan's dog because Ryan is completely obsessed with Aggie baseball. That was a bit obvious. (laughs) So today we're going to be talking about 27 Aggies in the Olympics. A little recap of the SEC Media Days. A plethora of schedule releases. Some MLB draft coverage some new hires, and then finally, some more football updates. So let's go ahead and get into it. And we're going to start off talking about NIL just briefly. So um, as of, I believe, July 1st, players are now allowed to profit off their names, images, and likenesses. And there's been several Aggie athletes who have already taken advantage of this. Um, Isaiah Spiller, sophomore running back, has a partnership with uh, Raising Cane's Chicken Fingers, um, Several athletes were paid $10,000 for interviews, and uh, junior dual threat running back and wide receiver Anaya Smith has decided to share his profits with the team. And so that's a little recap of what is going on with NIL. So let's go ahead and get into Olympic coverage. If you want to kick that off, Ryan. Dude, I absolutely am ready to kick that off. It has been a long time coming. It is 2021, the second half of it, and we are finally in the 2020 Olympics. Goodness gracious, that feels like it's been forever. But yeah, that's crazy. Worth the wait. Worth the wait for sure. Absolutely worth the wait. We are in Tokyo. The Aggies are there competing. We actually have 26 former Aggies competing in Texas A&M. And actually, I think I should correct myself. I think it's former students because you're never a former Aggie with Texas A&M, but we have 26 former students over there competing. Track and field is away with 12 participants, the most of any sport, followed up quickly behind with swimming and diving at nine. Men's and women's basketball each have their own participant as well as one for golf, softball, and tennis. So we are pretty well represented over there in just about every area. We also have Alex Dawson, Texas A&M Swimming and Diving Director of Operations, managing the U.S. swim team. So in total, that's 27 Aggies currently in Tokyo as we speak, fighting, competing on the grandest stage of them at all. It's awesome. It it makes me really proud to be an Aggie just looking at this list and seeing all that these people are accomplishing. Yeah, and I mean, speaking of what they're accomplishing, let's let's talk about what people watch the Olympics for, and and that's medals. And so getting started off... uh, we have Bryce Dedman, who went ahead and took the bronze in the inaugural mixed 4x400-meter relay race. So uh, Dedman had a little bit of a shaky start. He was initially disqualified, but 
eventually was reinstated, leading to a bronze medal. Sydney Pickram also had a bronze medal of the 4x100 medley relay team. She is a Canadian two-time Olympian, and she also participated in Rio in 2016. She went ahead and swam the breaststroke leg of the relay, and in doing so, set a new Canadian national record with a time of 3 minutes, 52 seconds, 0 0.60. And Fred Curley ran the men's 100 meter and took home silver with a personal best time of 9.84 seconds. And he is the first Aggie in Texas A&M history to medal in short sprints. All right, so, and then benchmarking off of Fred Curley, we have former track phenom, former Texas A&M track phenom, Athing Mo, who won the gold medal in the women's 800 meter with a very impressive time of 155.21, which is the 10th fastest time in the world. And additionally, she is the first Aggie, male or female, to win gold in an individual track event. And she is the first American woman to win gold in the event since Madeline Manning in 1968. And my math could be wrong, but I believe that is... 53 years, something like that. Over 50 for sure, which is very, very impressive. And then as of this recording, we have um, an Aggie who is in an upcoming Olympic event, which is Chris Middleton, who will be taking on France in the gold medal game on Friday, August 6th in men's basketball. Previously, Chris Middleton recorded 11 points, one rebound, two assists, and two steals against Australia, 97 to 78. And Chris Middleton is also the shooting guard for the Bucks. And just one thing I wanted to add about the Olympics is for me personally, I really enjoy watching the Olympics, not only to see, you know, people from Texas A&M being represented on the world stage, but also because it's really one of those events where you have all of these countries coming together and showing unity and just participating in doing what they love, which I think is really special. I'm sure Ryan and Casey also think that is special. But what was also special was some news that broke out during SEC Media Days. If you want to be specific, on Texas A&M's day of SEC Media Day, which I don't think was a coincidence, but Ryan, I will let you go ahead and take this one. You know, Jenny, it's hard to follow up the Olympics with just about anything. It, we could have an entire podcast on it just in itself, but we do have a whole episode to fill here with various sports news. So I will talk about those SEC Media Days for just a second. They were about two weeks ago as of recording, just a hard time for sports to have enough content to do weekly, which we will do back in the fall. But for now, we're taking a little bit longer with our time. So these media days in Hoover, Alabama, saw all the SEC teams come together. We got to hear from all the coaches and a few players from each team, really talk about the upcoming season, see what that's going to look like. Most notably, that was when the news broke that UT and OU would be joining the SEC or at least reached out to join. Obviously, the official announcement for membership came a little bit later, but that's what we got there. Jimbo Fisher did not have a lot to say on that matter. Except four simple words. I bet they would. So it really just shows you where the Texas A&M football program is at in terms of 
thinking about the decision, thinking about what it means for the conference and going forward. And I think the Aggies are ready to whoop some Sooner and Longhorn tail when they join. As of now, that'll come in 2025. I personally wouldn't be surprised if it comes sooner and they pay the sooner yeah. out of their current. Hey, but you know, Texas A&M is just worried about Texas A&M. And you know what? As a Texas A&M student, I'm happy to hear that, you know? So, hey. Yeah, I mean, all I've got to say is I bet they would. And um, <laughs> <laughs> and they did. So Jimbo Fisher uh, at SEC Media Days dived a little bit into the quarterback battle situation that is ongoing and right in front of everybody's eyes. No, there's no real indication which way Fisher is leaning, whether it's uh, redshirt freshman Haynes King or redshirt sophomore Zach Calzada. There hasn't been any real separation between the two. I mean, most times you get a statement from Fisher or a player regarding the quarterbacks. They're grouped as one and the same. And all we really know is that King tends to be a little bit more athletic, while Calzada tends to be the more traditional pocket passer. But Fisher went as far to say that, you know, they're both NFL-level talent. And we're really not going to have any idea who's going to be leading the Aggies onto the field for their first game until it happens. And that's about all we've got for SEC Media Day recap, so I think we should move on to some schedule releases. Sounds good to me. I think the most notable schedule to talk about, which we'll open up with, is Texas A&M soccer, which had one hell of a season. If you would like some more information on that, go back and listen to, I believe, episode six of Home Turf to see where the Aggies finished up kicked butt, made it all the way to the Elite Eight in the NCAA tournament. But compared to this year's season and upcoming schedule, last year was a piece of cake. They are going to start off ranked ninth in the United Soccer Coaches NCAA Division I poll, which is their 25th year straight on the top 10 rankings, just an FYI. But even still, I wouldn't be surprised if they struggle. And obviously, I want my girls to do great this year. I want them to go undefeated, out shoot, out score, shut out every team they face. But they're going to have to grind to get there. Their first three matches of the 18-game season are all against Elite Eight teams. They open it up with two away games, first at the NCAA runner-up, Florida State, and then with the Elite Eight, TCU. The Aggies did beat TCU in their last appearance, barely scraping out that win, so we'll see if they can do it again this year. But like I said, it's going to take a lot. And then the home slate will begin the next week on August 28th with the Fish Camp game against Elite Eight Clemson. And just a little bit more about the Fish Camp game. That is one of the highest attended collegiate soccer games in the entire nation. And the reason it is so big is because all of the Fish Camps at Texas A&M will come together. All the freshmen, counselors, you name it. And this year, Fish Camp is up to eight sessions. So we can expect that attendance to grow even more. Before we get to any of that, we will have an exhibition match here in College Station, Saturday, August 14th at Ellis Field against the Baylor Bears. And just to make this season even more pressure-filled, if you will, three of those matches will be broadcast live on the SEC Network. First hosting number 13, Arkansas, on September 23rd, followed up with a game at Mississippi State on the 21st of October, and then again in October on the 24th, hosting number 18, Vanderbilt. So action-packed schedule it's going to be seriously tough for these girls especially with such a young team but i'm confident they'll do well jenny why 
why don't you take on golf? Because we do have some new schedule announcements with those as well. I was actually just going to say Bat Sports Inbox has been flooded with new schedule updates, but hey, we love to see it. That means more for us to write on, more for us to talk about. So for golf schedules, we have both the men's and women's schedules that were released. The men's season kicks kicks off with the Marquette Intercollegiate in Aaron, Wisconsin, which begins on September 5th and wraps up on September 7th. And interconference play for the men's team begins with the SEC Match Play Championship from October 10th to the 12th and the Men's National Championship, which of course their entire entire schedule leads up to, takes place from May 27th to June 1st. Now for the women's golf team, they kick off their schedule from September 13th to the 14th in the Sam Golden Invitational. And then their national championship takes place from May 20th to 25th. And um, if you're looking for a player to watch on the golf spectrum, we have Texas A&M player Sam Bennett, who is a junior. Um, And Bennett previously played in the Arnold Palmer Cup recently, which was great to have an Aggie be represented there. But again, national championship for the men's team is May 27th to June 1st. National championship for the women's team is May 20th to 25th. Now we also have two more sports schedules to kind of go into. So I'm going to let Casey go ahead and take over and discuss a little bit about the swim schedules. Yeah, so getting into swimming, the uh, women are going to be beginning their schedule on October 7th in Houston for a dual meet with the Cougars, and the men will be beginning their schedule in Dallas for the SMU Classic against Louisville, Arizona, Missouri, and SMU. And the home opener will be against Texas on Friday, October 15th. And they'll fill out the rest of their schedule briefly, preparing for the NCAA Championships in the spring so let's move on to volleyball with ryan so like soccer and volleyball will also open its fall schedule with an exhibition match hosting the baylor bears but theirs will be on friday august 20th the regular season will then open all the way in hawaii and the hawaiian airlines rainbow Weihine classic that'll be followed up with the home opener on monday september 6th hosting the a&m corpus christi team that's at 2 p.m. on a Monday, which is a little bit interesting to me, especially for a home opener. Tickets are only $4, so I don't think they're going to have too much of a problem getting people there either way. It's just something to take into consideration, I guess, when factoring in home crowds and things like that. And that will be followed up by the Texas A&M Invitational from September 10th through the 11th. That'll see them host Houston, Albany, and UTSA. One other interesting or exciting matchup to note, I guess I should say, is that they will face the future conference rival, Texas Longhorns, at Reed Arena on Friday, September 17th. Would not be surprised to see that match absolutely sold out. Seven of those matches will be streamed on the SEC network, including September 26th, when the team hosts the ranked South Carolina. Very exciting schedule for volleyball. And I don't think we planned our podcast schedule very well because we go straight into baseball which i'm also going to talk about so y'all are just going to have to hear me listen to my voice for a really long time but here goes nothing starting with the mlb draft this is actually the 20th year straight of having three 
plus draftees coming out of Texas A&M, which is the longest streak in the nation, by the way. A&M saw left-handed pitcher Dustin Sines, right-handed pitcher Bryce Miller, first baseman Will Frizzell, and relief pitcher Chandler Joswiak all find their homes with professional teams. Sines was picked first for the Aggies, 112th overall pick, going to the Washington Nationals, where he played four seasons with Texas A&M beforehand. 47 games, including 23 starts, 10-7 and seven record, with 158 strikeouts and 150.1 innings pitched. Signs was directly followed one pick later by right-handed pitcher Bryce Miller going 113th by the Seattle Mariners. It's the first time since 2013 that AM has had back-to-back picks. First baseman Will Frizzell was also picked that same day, 233rd by the Washington Nationals. So he'll play on the same team with Signs there. Be fun to see some Aggie-Aggie teamwork going on. Frizzell also played four seasons with AM, had 177 games played, including 102 runs, 33 doubles, 30 home runs, and 115 RBIs. 30 home runs. Absolutely insane, especially when you consider that 19 of those came in 2021 alone. Insanely dominant at the plate, led the SEC with a 0.686 slugging percentage this past year. Chandler Joswiak was the last pick of the day, 389th pick by the Miami Marlins. Led the Aggies in 2021 with eight saves and a whip of 11.6 and 79 strikeouts. So really, really good guys. I'm very glad that they found a home with professional teams. I'm excited to see them on my TV for years to come. And along with those draftees, we do also have some new hires and retainees on the coaching staff. Just a little bit more information there. Casey's going to tell us all about those and what we can expect from the coaches, directors, things like that from the Aggies going forward. Yeah, so Texas A&M has hired Chuck Box as the Director of Player and Program Development. So Box is coming from four years as head baseball coach at Hartfield Academy down there in Jackson, Mississippi, where he developed a 735 to 326 record and produced 14 All-Americans, 13 MLB draftees, and 143 All-Conference um, players and on the retaining side Casey Meyer will be retained as the athletic trainer uh, or the associate athletic trainer pardon me Jeremy McMillan will be retained as a sports performance coach and Will Fox as the director of video and analytics and for now the 2022 Frisco Classic at Riders Field schedule has been announced where we will see Texas A&M take on Washington State, Iowa, and Wichita State. So that is all we've got for baseball for now, folks. So let's go ahead and get into some football. Take it away, Ginny. Yes, we do have some more football updates. Yay, we always love to hear that. We have numerous Aggies who were named to the All-SEC teams. So to kick that off, we have junior tight end Jalen Weidemeyer, who was named to the first team. We have Spiller, who was named to first team. And junior offensive lineman Kenyon Green, who was also named to first team. And additionally, he is an All-American player. And then the last Aggie to be named to an All-SEC team was wide receiver and running back Anias Smith, who was named to the All-SEC third team. And interestingly enough, he was named as a wide receiver specifically. And then for the 
Rotary Lombardi Award watch list, we had Green, DeMarvin Leal, and Jalen Weidemeyer. On the Tyler Rose Award watch list, we had Spiller. And um, as for awards, that's about that's about it for football updates, but I figured we could kind of conclude the show with something fun and the three of us go around and say which player we are most excited to watch in this upcoming 2021 season. So for me personally, I am most excited about junior running back Spiller and Anaya Smith who combined for a total of 1,893 offensive yard and 19 total touchdowns during the 2020 season. Those are absolutely some good guys to watch, Jenny. Going to be tough to go up against running backs like that. Really solid for the Aggies. But I'm more interested in the defense, specifically DeMarvin Leal. You just mentioned him on the watch list for the Rhodey Lombardi Award. If I had to place a bet on it, I would say that he's going to come away the winner. Knock on wood, but I got some good, strong feelings of hope and success going for my guy. He is a junior defensive lineman and is weighing in at 290 pounds right now. An absolute monster. And we knew he was good as a freshman, but he came around to start all 10 games as a sophomore when the Aggies finished top four. So you really got to be good to go around and start every single game like that. And he did exactly that. No surprise, though, he actually ended up as the defensive MVP in the fall and the spring defensive MVP, led the defense in hurries with eight and ranked fifth in tackles with 37 also had two solo sacks plus one assist for 19 yards and an interception in 2020 an absolute monster on the field most way too early mock drafts do have him going in the top 10 already after this 2021 season even though you know he's our age or my age i guess i should say y'all are older than me but he's only a junior so most people are expecting that he'll graduate early and find success there i think he's a guy to watch for sure yeah uh, I mean, absolutely. There's power on offense, power on defense coming into this season. And, and what I'm really excited for is junior tight end Jalen Weidemeyer, as we mentioned, uh, also on the Rotary Lombardi Award watch list, uh, All-American first team. There's a lot going on. I mean, by many metrics, he was the second best tight end in the country last season behind Florida's Kyle Pitts, who is now in the NFL. And Weidermeyer last season had six touchdowns with 506 receiving yards. I talked to him a couple after a couple of games and said he had a little friendly ongoing competition with Anaya Smith for leading the team in touchdowns. And I think just an all-around great guy, incredibly talented, and would not be surprised to see him really solidify his running as the best tight end in the country. Yes, and... To also to conclude the show, we just wanted to quickly hype up our 2021 Fall Maroon Life edition, which is coming out. We have, I believe, a total of 11 stories. 11 if you include our letter from the sports editors. But um, really excited. We got some QB battle. We got some Isaiah Spiller feature. We got a DeMarvin Leal feature, a football preview, a volleyball preview, a Triana Rush feature, a soccer preview, a soccer freshman feature, a cross-country preview, and an NIL feature. So overall, just some really good stuff. And we hope you will all check it out. And something else I want to start is I want to start doing a word of the day with these recordings or a word of the show, I guess. And you know what, Casey, I'm going to give it to you for 
one of the first things you said when you said plethora. I don't know why. Oh, have you never heard plethora before? I, I, I have, in fact, heard it before, but I was just not expecting it, which I oh, think... plethora is a fantastic word. I agree. All right. Well, I guess this has been Jennifer Streeter, Ryan Faulkner, and Casey Stavenhagen with episode seven of Home Turf, a Battalion Sports Production, signing off. Thanks for listening, and we'll see y'all next time. Thanks, and gig'em. Gig'em, baby. Gig'em. This episode of Home Turf was written by Casey Strafenhagen and Jenny Streeter, edited and produced by Annie Wells.